Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter 21. And I want to share with you the burden uh, of my heart, and I hope that it will be a help to you and a blessing to you in some way uh, to give you, a, give you an encouragement along the way. Maybe it'll bolster uh, what you're already doing. Maybe it will give you encouragement to go forward further in the things of God in regard to this discipline. We're going to begin reading in verse 18 here just momentarily. I want to say to the church again, thank you. Uh, you, you are a, a kind people and a sweet people. And I mean that in the, uh, the, the, very, the very greatest of commendations. And I, I appreciate your pastor. He's, he has a good spirit and a kind spirit. And I, I thank God for him and his family. And I thank you for your kindnesses to me while I've been here. It doesn't go unnoticed. Thank you for being kind to Jonathan as well. Um, pray for us if you would. We're, we'll be on our way home uh, in the morning early. We've got a lot to tend to when we get home. And any prayers that you could give us regarding that would be much appreciated. Uh, we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter number 21 again. And we're going to begin our reading in verse number 18. I'm going to read down through verse 22 and then we'll take this excerpt of Scripture and we'll begin to look through it. The Bible said, Now in the morning, as he, Jesus, returned into the city, he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And he said, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. The, the idea is that immediately that's what happened. The Bible said in verse 20, And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered? You'll notice the end punctuation there being an exclamation point. This was a point of uh, emotional statement being made regarding what they had just seen before their very eyes. In verse 21, Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and, and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. Jesus was very emphatic about that. He concludes with verse number 22, which is basically beginning with a coordinating conjunction regarding the abilities that they're going to have when they are endued with the power of the Spirit of God once He's gone. He said, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. Which was what Brother Allison spoke to us about on uh, just a few moments ago. Pray with me and for me if you would. I would appreciate it. Father, we love you and we are eternally grateful to you for your kindness to us and for your blessings upon our life. Uh, Lord, you're, you're much, much better to us than we deserve. Uh, but Lord, we are... 
not taking that for granted. We're thanking you, uh, Lord, for being good to us. And now, Lord, we ask you for wisdom. We ask you for leadership. We ask you for direction as only you can share with us and give to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we begin the context of Scripture, we're going to be centering in on verse 22 eventually tonight, which is simply this, All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. It is my opinion uh, that the, uh, the greatest of all spiritual disciplines is prayer. That is the greatest of all spiritual disciplines. It is also my opinion that the least used and least understood of all spiritual disciplines uh, is this matter of prayer uh, and how powerful it is that prayer happens to be. E.M. Bounds, the great writer on prayer, made this statement. He said, prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty about God. He said, God shapes the world by our prayer. And if if that is true, and I tend to believe that prayer is that discipline that moves the heart of God, which moves the hand of God on our behalf, If that be the truth, how much is our world around us being shaped as a result of the effectual fervent prayer that the pastor referenced a moment ago in the book of James? Uh, how, How much is our world being shaped? As we look at the debacle that's going on in our nation politically and socially, it doesn't take one very long to... Go to Philadelphia and go down Kensington Avenue to see the very powers of sin at work in a, in a mighty way. And there is seemingly no hope at all in regard to our country. But it simply isn't the fact. Uh, Pastor Allison so aptly preached to our hearts a moment ago about the power of Abraham's prayer in praying for Lot and what his prayer was able to do in regard to moving the heart of God on his behalf. Don't forget in Mark chapter number, uh, is it chapter number 2 or chapter number 4, maybe it's chapter 2, where there were men that were bringing a crippled man to Jesus. When they brought that man to Jesus and found that he was not, they weren't able to get at Jesus because of the press, They tore off the roof of the house and they let the man down before Christ. And the Bible said that when Christ saw their faith on the roof, it was when he saw their faith that he moved on the crippled man's behalf. How often has our faith in prayer regarding a situation or a soul, how often has it effectually moved God because of our faith to believe that God would do exceeding abundantly above all that we ever ask and all that we ever thought. Now the problem with Ephesians 3 and verse 20 has to do with the remainder of the verse. The Bible said, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, then the addendum on that verse is according 
to the power that worketh in us. In other words, we can see through prayer God do exceeding and abundant things. Unbelievable things beyond our imagination and comprehension. However, there is this problem with power. In other words, if I am doing anything that is restricting the power of God, I am restricting the power of the move of God in prayer. In other words, the Apostle Paul made, it, made the statement in this regard. He said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. And then again, in 1 Thessalonians, he said, Quench not the Spirit. The power of prayer is the Holy Spirit of God. In the book of Jude, the Bible said that we are to pray in the Holy Ghost. The Apostle Paul also made this statement in the book of Romans. He said, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. In other words, what's happening is as we pray, the Holy Ghost, which indwells every believer, is taking that prayer and ushering it into the presence of Christ, who in turn as our adversary, intermediary, and advocate takes that prayer and presents it to the Father on our behalf. Now, if there is a problem between the Holy Spirit of God and myself on the basis of my rebellion, my sin, my carnality, my bitterness, my anger, my wrath, my clamor, my evil speaking, then I am governing the power of prayer. Let me give you an idea about the governance of the power of prayer. I am not a mechanic, but I, I do have some really grand mechanics in our church. Jonathan's father is probably the best diesel mechanic I've ever met in my life. And Brother Ricky, because of the tools that he has, has the ability uh, to take a, a brand new cat dozer and he has the ability to go into that dozer and to plug his computer into that dozer and to take that massive machine which has unbelievable ability and with his computer he is able to govern the output of the power of that engine to that machine. And he can control how much power is being utilized by that machine with one click of his computer. In other words, he is governing its power to keep it from performing at its fullest potential. With those things in our life that govern the Spirit of God by quenching and grieving Him, it then governs how much power our prayer is effectual in receiving from the Lord. So it is important that we keep our hearts right with God. In the model prayer, we have two instances of the use of the model prayer in the Bible. One is in the book of Matthew, chapter number 6, and the other is in Luke, chapter number 11. Now, if you're not careful, as a Bible student, you will believe that these are parallel texts. They simply are not. It is in Matthew 6 that Jesus is speaking at, on the, at the Sermon on the Mount. And as he is speaking the Sermon on the Mount, there are thousands who are gathered there. And Jesus says something to this effect. He said, you want to learn about prayer. He said, you need to enter into your closet. You need to shut your door. 
and you need to pray to your Father which is in secret, and your Father which is in secret shall reward you openly. And then he makes a statement similar to this. He said, you need to pray after this manner. He said, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And he goes on down to the end of the model prayer, and he makes a statement about uh, praying that you not enter into temptation, and then asking that uh, you be forgiven on the basis of how you have forgiven other people. Now, three years later, at least two and a half, Jesus is sequestered away from everyone with his disciples. They're in some wilderness place. And as they are there, they have been engaging in a prayer session together. And as Jesus in Luke 11 is praying, he gets done and it has thoroughly impressed his disciples. Now let's give consideration to the disciples. Here are 12 men that are the most power-packed men on the top side of the earth. These men have the ability through apostolic power that has been granted them by Christ to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to cast out devils, and to raise dead bodies to life again. And since they were bequeathed that power by Christ, there is no reason that we should deny that they exercised every one of those powers. So these men are the most powerful men outside of Christ on the top side of the earth. Now, as they hear Jesus pray, their response to that is this, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples to pray. They didn't say, Lord, teach us how to preach or teach us how to heal or teach us how to take bread and fish and feed thousands. They didn't ask about ministry. They asked about prayer. To that, Jesus made this statement in, Mark, uh, in Luke chapter number 11. He does not say, after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Jesus to them says, when you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that's indebted to us, or something along those lines. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now notice with me, if you would, something real quick. This model in Matthew 6, as well as Luke 11 are daily models. Hence, he said this, Give us this day what kind of bread? Daily bread. So it precludes the fact that the expectation of prayer from Andy to the Lord is that I pray daily about daily needs and necessities in my life. Now note in the end of that, Jesus made this statement, And lead us not into temptation. Now we know from James chapter number 1 that we're going to face temptation. Every man, woman, boy, girl, every man is tempted when they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. We know that temptation is coming. But Jesus in the model in Luke 11, as well as in Matthew chapter number 6 said, one of the things you daily need to pray about is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Now Jesus is making mention this in two places. One, in Matthew 6, 
only weeks or months after he came out of 40 days of temptation in the wilderness. In Luke 11, this thing is so impressing upon the Christ that he makes mention of that same fact two and a half years later. By the way, you don't want to go into temptation. Pray the Lord keep you from it. He ends it in both places by saying, in different words of course, ask God to forgive you of your sins. That's a daily deal. Now why do I need to keep my sin list and my list of transgressions with God short? Because of its effect on prayer. An effect has eternal ramifications in our world and in the world to come. And so it is imperative upon you and I that we keep our hearts repented up and our sins forgiven. Here's the issue. The issue is that we don't see sin the way God sees sin. Now let's consider that if we can just for a moment. The Bible said this, that the very thought of foolishness is sin. If that be the case, I really need to repent quite frequently. The Bible said, if a man knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. Therefore, if that be the case, and I believe the Bible to be true, then I must say, I must repent quite frequently. That's why it's a daily deal with God. You see, we're measuring our sinfulness on the basis of society in general. And I will give you this, when you measure your good Baptist self up to society in general, you look pretty good. But we're not measuring ourselves against society, we're measuring self against the Savior. He is the righteous standard, not me. And not you, nor anyone in society. From the best of us to the worst of us. The measuring stick is not humanity, it is Christ Himself. And so if I measure my personal righteousness on the basis of Christ Himself, I've got a lot of scotching up that needs to be done. Therefore, if prayer is needful and necessary, and I know it is, then I must make sure that my heart is right with God. The Bible said that all things whatsoever we ask in prayer believing we shall receive. That is a verse in greatly in the affirmative. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus said again, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. That is a powerful verse. In Matthew and chapter number 7, again in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement. He said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. For what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things 
To who? To them that ask Him. God is setting on ready, wanting to answer your prayer. He is wanting to do for you. He is wanting to move in your life. He desires to do that. E.M. Bounds again made this statement. He said, the secret of success in Christ's kingdom is the ability to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. It was John Bunyan who made this statement in regard to prayer. Bunyan said, He that runs from God in prayer early in the morning will scarcely find Him the rest of the day. In other words, it ought to be one of our first disciplines in the morning is to get alone with the Master and have connection with Him. Many people say their prayers, but few have learned to pray their prayers. Because when we come before God, because many of us have lacked the teaching or the preaching to understand prayer as a discipline, and Satan wants to keep us far from it because he knows its power and ability, most of us don't understand it, and therefore when we go there, we go with a litany list of things just simply to say. Dear Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your blessings upon our life. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the pastor and his family. Thank you for the, uh, the Bible. Um, thank you for our job. I appreciate the fact that we have breath in our body. And, and uh, Lord, going to go out today and we're going to, um, we're going to do a lot. And I, I've got a busy day, Lord. I don't have a lot of time to talk to you a whole bunch. And here's the Wednesday night prayer list. Uh, I lay my hand on it. You know all the names that are on there. I ask you to bless them through my hand, Lord. Move into these prayers and, uh, and, and do for those people whatever it is they need. I'll talk to you at lunch, and I'll thank you for my food, and we'll talk to you later, sir. Amen. And our prayers generally are that generic. They're without feeling. They are without communion. You, you do realize that when God created man, His intent was to have a being with a will that had a desire to spend time with Him personally. So when God, when God sent Jesus to redeem us from the curse of sin, much of that curse of sin is not the things that we do, but the separation from God that the sin caused. So the Bible said through the writing of the Apostle Paul, he said this, he said, God is faithful. He said this to the Corinthian church. God is faithful by whom ye are called. Talking about to salvation. He said, God is faithful by whom you're called. Unto what? Unto a fire insurance program to keep you from going to the eternal flame. Now I'm not going. I'm not going to hell, but that's not why I'm saved. According to the Apostle Paul, he said, You are saved unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, what God did in salvation was to renew a relationship between whatever your name is and the God of all glory that was broken by your great-great-great-grandmother and grandfather, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. And the intent of God is to put you not in a place of just saying words at a heaven and hoping they reach wherever it is they're going and pleasing some entity out there that I've placed faith in that I know nothing about. 
His intent is to manifest the fact that He is absolutely real and that He is hearing you and He wants you to sense and know the reality of His presence in your life so that when you walk out of your prayer place, you are awed and wowed by the presence of a literal God who has manifest Himself to you in a personal way. And there are multiplied millions of Christians who have never experienced personally what I just said. Never. And God doesn't have it available for the elite. It is available for the child. I'll never forget when I was 16 years of age, and I am moved every time I think on this. At 16 years of age, I began to try to, you know, just to try to serve the Lord a little bit. I didn't know much about it. I grew up in a good home and a good family. My dad's a preacher, but I was just a kid, and I, I didn't know a lot. And I remember going to a youth camp. I'd never been to youth camps. I went, and I had just come out of a revival meeting, a tent meeting that our church had been in for two weeks. And I had saw people get happy in the Lord. I had saw people saved by the grace of God. I had sensed, you know, that, uh, man, God really is real to those old people. And so I remember uh, I, they had this uh, middle-of-the-day devotional time. And I remember going off into a field. And as I went off in this field, I took my Bible and I read my Bible. I thought that would be a good thing to do during devotional time. And as I looked at other children around early in the week, I saw them, you know, piddle paddling around during devotional time and playing with pine needles and throwing sticks at each other and laughing and giggling. And I thought, man, I need to sequester myself away from this. And so I went off into a cow pasture and got down right beside of an old pine thicket. And as I sat down there, I read my little Bible, and I decided I would pray. And so I started praying, Lord, um, bless, bless the people here, and help the preacher as he preaches, and bless our church back home, and help my daddy as he pastors, and just praying, you know, just the stuff you and I both do all the time. And so I remember it was a little hard down there on the ground, and I got up and I began to walk and pray. And Lord, I ask you to bless my sisters, and I ask you to do this and that, and and um, thank you for saving me, and appreciate that. And I remember, Pastor, that I stopped, and I, I don't know why, other than God, I stopped, and I looked up at heaven, just like this, and I said, God, I want to I say something to you. And I spoke to him, not in praying jargon, but like a man to a man, I said, I want to say something to you. I have seen you make yourself real to old people. I don't know, can you do that for a young person? I don't, I don't know. But anyway, I just, I just wondered if you can do that. And I went on, Lord, and I pray that you would bless so and so and this and that. And I remember saying, and Lord... I just want to thank you for saving me. And for the first time since my conversion, it was like God said, that's exactly what I did for you. 
and I can't explain it any other way. It was like God cut off a chunk of heaven and just dropped it in my soul. And all of a sudden, I was awed by the fact that God had saved me, that God had changed me, and that God was real. And I remember, I I had never done this before. I began to raise my hands. I said, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I was out in this field all by myself. And before I knew it, and I don't suggest this for you, I don't even know why, I just took off running. I was an athlete, and I just I took off running through the field, and I would jump, and I would say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! I was by myself. And I, I looked up, and across the field was the camp director's house. And the old man was sitting on the steps just watching well, being timid as I was and not a people person, I, I ran over to the, to the woods and I shut my Bible and I ran off. Later on that day, I noticed the old man coming to me. I have since preached for him. He came up to me and he wrapped his arms around me and he said, Young man, yes sir, God made himself real to you, didn't he? Yes, sir. Son, you will never forget it. And he walked away. I'm 56 years old. I was 16 then. You do the math. I have never forgotten it. And since that time, there have been a multiplicity of times when in the secrecy and silence of a secret place, That same God has done the same thing over and over again. You see, God is real. And He is looking for a people that He can manifest Himself in reality to. I said this morning, and I may have said this week, my dad was a praying man. Four to five hours a day. Four to five hours a day. Four to five hours a day. Before God, he was a praying man. I remember when we would gather for visitation, you're going to pray for an hour before you ever go out and knock on a door. That's how serious it was. And I, I remember as he was in Bible college, and my, myself and my two sisters, this would have been probably 71, 1971, and we lived in a, six, uh, a 10 by 50, mobile home in, uh, in, in Atlanta at the end of one of the runways of the Atlanta International Airport. You can imagine what a 10 by 50 trailer at the end of an airport was like every day. So I remember Dad believed in integrity and character, and this is what he believed. You, you work hard. You honor God with your money first. You give and you tithe first. You pay your bills second. Then if there's anything left over, you eat. But you do not eat before you take care of what's God's. And you do not eat until you pay your bills so that your integrity is impeccable in the community. I learned that. 
as a kid. So he came in the living room and he got mama and all of us together, five, three children and mom, five of us all together. And the dad, dad said this, well, we don't have any food. We have no food in this house. Nothing in the cupboard. We have no money. And we've got to eat. We've done what we are supposed to do regarding our testimony. And now we must pray and see God work. And that man bowed in that little living room and prayed in faith believing. Matthew 21, 22. He prayed in faith believing that God would do exceeding abundantly above all that ever could be asked or thought. That was on a Wednesday evening. Before the end of the evening, no one knew our plight. Before the end of the evening, my dad and I made three trips in a 1964 Volkswagen hauling $500 worth of groceries in that day's money to a house whose cupboards couldn't hold it all. I've watched that happen over and over and over and over again. In big things as well as in little. Uh, I'll not forget this, and I, I need to hurry, but you're listening well. I, I, was, I mow a lot of grass, uh, just a lot of grass. And I, I was on, I was on, a, I was on a, uh, our church property mowing. We have 30 acres. And I was mowing. We mow the median and the highway. We, if you come by our property, it looks like a golf course. That's how beautiful we keep it. And so I'm mowing the median and the highway. I mow the sides of the interstate. I mow all of that stuff or the road so that it looks good. We weeded it. We, we, we make sure that if you come by our church, you're going to wow God. That's God's house. That's what we believe. We don't believe in having God's shack. We believe in having God's house. And so I was mowing, and I, I'm a pocket knife guy. I've been talking to these little boys about pocket knives this week. I've got over 300 of them. I just love knives. And I remember I had a knife that I had bought a year ago, good work knife, and I lost while I was mowing. And I, it wasn't that I didn't have another knife, and it wasn't that I couldn't afford to buy the same knife I had, but I, I don't like losing knives. Well, I remember about two weeks later, I was mowing this same property, and I was fellowshipping with the Lord on the back of the mower, and I said, God, I need to talk to you a minute. I said, you can do anything you want to do. I really don't care what the answer is, but you, you said for me to tell you about the desires of my heart. Here's the desires of my heart. Lord, I lost this pocket knife out here last week. And if you would be so kind as to let me find this knife, Lord, I have no idea where it's at, but if you'd be so kind, I'll give you praise and glory for it publicly, and I'll give you honor for it publicly in church the next time we meet, if you'd do that for me. Well, I began to mow, and I forgot all about it. I forgot all about my praying about it. I was just riding around on the mower, and I remember I was probably two hours into this job and I was up on the side of a bank looking down into an obscure ditch that I had mowed earlier two weeks ago. 
and I'm not even thinking about this, and all of a sudden it's like a beam of light shone out of heaven. It didn't, but it was like that. And God said, look down there. And I looked down there in that ditch, and we're talking about a massive piece of property, and down in that ditch lays my pocket knife. I jump off that mower, I grab that pocket knife, I raise my hands toward the heaven, I began to praise the God of glory that He would think enough about His little child that the God who's keeping the planets in orbit and keeping your cells from exploding your brain is interested in one little guy's pocket knife. That's how real God is. My daughter, Victoria, is a precious lady. She's a godly lady. In 2020, she was expecting her fourth child. And there were some issues, and eventually the baby was born, and Andrew was born a bit early. And he was doing great. He was doing fine. He was in a neonatal neck unit in Charlotte. We got the call on a Thursday that things had gone south. What had happened was a well-meaning doctor had done a, a, a normal medical procedure on my grandson and it killed him. My grandson died. We, we went to the hospital and I held my dead grandson's little cold body in my hands and I watched my daughter and my son-in-law as they wept. And then my daughter called me the next day and she said, Dad, Andrew will not get to attend church with us. Do you mind, instead of a normal funeral, we want you to do the service, but do you mind if we have a worship service as his memorial instead of just a, a dry, cold funeral? Absolutely, we can do that. So on Saturday, the visitors came and they flowed through the, the house. And, and then they brought little Andrew in and they set him down in his little box. I opened up the service and we had prayer. And the girls got up to sing, my, my daughters and daughters-in-law. And they sang without my daughter. And she sat in the back there with her, with her husband. And they began to sing the praises of the Lord. And I looked down and my little heartbroken daughter was raising her hand and magnifying the Lord. And they sang and we praised God and some folk testified. And then I preached the gospel. And it was such a weird and unusual funeral to most that even the hardened funeral home directors thought it was odd. And they came in and they sat down to watch what was going on. And as I look back, as we preached and sang and raised our hands and praised the God of glory, I look back and those funeral directors had their hands, their head in their hands, and their shoulders were heaving as they hardened funeral directors were weeping, weeping over seeing real Christianity in action. Fast forward a couple of years. My daughter, in September we go on vacation 
and it's a house full of people, bunches. My daughter and her husband run a, run a farm, and they had a lot of farming work to do before they got to us, and they came in on Monday night to the house that we had, and I get up early in the morning, as I told you before, and I went into the kitchen, and they had gotten in maybe at midnight. I was already asleep, and so when I got up at 4.30 and went in the kitchen to make my coffee, there was an open carton of eggs. And I looked at the carton of eggs, and on it was a little note that said, Guess who's expecting? Oh, isn't that sweet? That's wonderful. Oh, we had such a good time. But what my daughter didn't tell me, Pastor, what she didn't tell her mother, and what she didn't tell her siblings, because she didn't want to ruin vacation, was that there were already issues that were huge. The doctor had looked at Victoria and Randy, and this is what they said. Miss Victoria, we hate to tell you this. The doctor was crying. The doctor said, your baby has so much fluid on its brain that if it's born and lives at all, it is going to be severely handicapped and severely downs. We have to offer, I know what your answer is going to be, but we have to offer you an abortion if you'd like to utilize those services. I already know what your answer is going to be. And the doctor was weeping. I'm so heartbroken. My daughter and her husband were heartbroken. And they went home, and they got with the Lord. And Randy and Victoria said, Let's fast and pray, and let's just see what God will do, and let us be willing to accept God's will regardless of what His will is. And my son-in-law began to fast and pray, and my daughter began to fast and pray. She's getting ready to go back to the doctor, and she sent me a, she sent me a song, an old song that you don't hear sung in church anymore because this generation of the church can't take it. The song was this, Whatever it takes to draw closer to you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. I'll trade sunshine for rain. I'll trade comfort for pain. That's what I'll be willing to do. Whatever it takes... To make me more like you, Lord, that's what I'll be willing to do. I called her and I said, Victoria, that's a tough song. She said, Daddy, I have said to the Lord, I am willing to do whatever you want me to do. If you want me to bury this child, I'll do it for the glory of God. If you want me to raise this handicapped child, I'll do it for the glory of God. Whatever brings you glory, I'm willing to accept it, Lord. She went to the doctor just a handful of weeks ago. She and Randy went in and they were sitting, nervous, of course, in the office. The doctor came in, weeping. The geneticist came in, brokenhearted. They walked in. They said, Victoria, we have been dreading this day, but we have to talk to you. They said, Victoria, we have no answer for what we're fixing to tell you. But your latest test, Victoria, there's nothing there 
There's no excess fluid on this child's brain. It was there, but it is no longer there. You have a perfectly normal child growing in your womb, and we don't know how that happened other than, here's the doctor now, other than God. My daughter went to her second doctor's visit. Another doctor walked in. And the doctor said, there's no answer, Miss Victoria. All I can say is, the doctor, all I can say is, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And the doctor kept saying, praise the Lord. These were doctors we didn't even know knew the Lord. This happened as a result of people who were willing to ask the impossible in an unbelievable situation and see God do the extraordinary for the glory of God. In Matthew 21, 22, this is what I will give and I will be done. Notice the parameters of the verse. What are the parameters? All things. Nothing that you want to talk to Him about is trivial to Him. Nothing. I don't care what you want to talk to God about. It is not trivial to God. All things. The parameters. Number two. Notice it's personal. All things whatsoever ye shall ask. The, the pronoun ye, as is used here, implies that it doesn't matter if it's this young man or this older man. It doesn't matter if it's this young boy or this young girl. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. It doesn't matter what your, your race is, your socioeconomic status. This is a personal deal for every believer He is not concerned with who you are. He's concerned with what you are. You are His, and He wants to do for you. It's personal. Number three, notice the position in the verse. He said, all things whatsoever you ask. It didn't say demand. We are the servants of the king, not the controllers of the genie in the bottle. We are of the crowd that believes by faith that God can do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. We are of that crowd that believes. We are not of the name it and claim it, blab it and grab it crowd. That's not who we are. We are asking a sovereign God to move on our behalf because He can and He desires to. The position of the verse. Notice the persuasion in the verse. He said, all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer. Here's the word. Believing. One of our issues is we pray, but we do not believe. We pray as a matter of Christian habit. But do we truly believe what we have asked? The Bible is very clear in the Apostle Paul's writing in chapter 4 of the book of of, uh, Philippians. 
He said, be careful, don't be anxious about or concerned about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The word there is this, I pray about it, in other words, I mention it. In supplication, that's serious asking, and then with thanksgiving, that means I am thanking God for the answer before I ever get it. That's believing. The final thing is, notice the promise of the verse. He said, What things soever ye shall ask in prayer believing, here's the promise. Ye shall receive. So, what must I see as a preclusion of this verse, not in it, but of it. In other words, what keeps it from happening? What makes this verse an impossibility for you? Two things. Number one, a lack of practicing it. If you don't do it, it don't work. Number two, a lack of purity. Because if there is sin, it is standing between me and God's answering my prayer. Psalm 66, 18, and I'm done. The Bible said this, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord don't hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord don't hear me. Can you get a prayer through? That is the final question. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.